It's funny when they have this, you know, some coach that coached there before has the same calls, the same offense, the same players, but a lot of new players now, but same offensive play, same calls, and uh, that may help us a little bit. But again, I think our guys, I think it's just good matchups. Raptors pick up the ball off a turnover from Detroit, and Lowry busts a triple and then stares down Gucci Rowe as a few too many Pistons fans had some junk to say, and the Raptors down one. There's nothing, you know, glaring like, oh my God, we don't do this very well, and we weren't ready to play, and this game, blah, 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 blah. You know, we got to play a little bit better. Yeah. Right. From the near sideline here, fires a cross court pass to a wide open Gasol in the far corner, and he missed. Felt pretty good. Felt pretty good. Uh, good play. And uh, was just a little short. He just rimmed, hit the, the wrist, and, and I thought it was. When I let it go, I thought it was it was going to be good, and uh, but but it wasn't. Manning to Gasol, far wing. Now to Lowry above the arc, dribbling to the right side. Now straight away into a deep three ball, busted. He shot that thing from Philly. Kyle Lowry with a monster triple from 29 feet has the Raptors leading by five with 2.18 to go in the extra frame. Focus was great, the energy was great, the will to win was great, the team spirit was great. Reaches in, tried to tap the ball away from Jackson. Jackson misses, Raptors have the ball. They don't take the timeout, they come down the floor. Kyle Lowry beats everybody to the rim. He ends up on the floor, no foul called. And Detroit picks up the ball. Kennard fouled out near center. And Detroit will go to the line with 6.3 seconds to play. I don't think we stalled. I think we missed a, missed a dunk, and I missed a shot, and that was it. We missed three shots. We didn't stall. When there was a minute, and it was almost two minutes, whatever it was, but we didn't stall. Just congratulate them on being a little bit better there in the overtime. What up, what up, what's good? It is Free Association. I'm Donovan Ben. I'm here once again with Tyler Ennis. Raptors lose a close one to the Pistons. I'm actually not sweating it too tough because the Pistons have been playing... Some of the best basketball in the East, similar to the Magic. And there were some chances. The Raptors were up five late where they could have extended the lead and came away with some empty possessions. But here's my biggest takeaway from the game, and really from the last stretch of games that we've seen. Marcus Gasol starts again in place of Surge. Surge, although played well off the bench, but Gasol closed the entire game. He played the entire overtime period. My initial fear with this trade was two of your top five guys play the same position, can't play with each other. And so I thought there's some diminishing returns in getting another center, even though you're pretty good at the center spot. Is there a scenario where Abaka just outright loses his starting spot to Marcus Ole? And this is his team to both start and close games all the time moving forward. Right. And that's something I was looking at. Uh, when I see Nick Nurse talk about, uh, it depends on matchups, where in the East, I think if we're going against Embiid, I think Gasol is the one you'd go with. And I think, you know, there's very few matchups I've looked at in the East when it comes to playoff time where I think I'd start Ibaka over Gasol. I think it kind of depends on Ibaka's mindset going into it, just because I know a lot of guys really do care about whether they're starting to come off the bench. When I was in Phoenix, Isaiah Thomas was somebody who he wanted to start. You know, he was getting the, the minutes he wanted. He was scoring as much as he wanted, but it was just a matter of, you know, when you guys brought me here, it was a promise that I was going to start games. And obviously starters get paid a lot more in the league than than backups. But, you know, it was something that he was promised, and that was, you know, one of the reasons he wasn't happy when he was in Phoenix. So I think it kind of depends on what Ibaka cares about. If it's strictly winning, and they're winning with Gasol, and then, you know, I, I don't think it'd be a problem, but I think it comes down to um, just the way Nick Nurse handles the rotations and, you know, I think if you see Ibaka just not on the floor when it comes to the end of the fourth, I think it, it may cause a problem if that's something that he cares about. Ibaka in 20 minutes last night, five points, 11 boards. Gasol in his 38 minutes had 13 uh, and eight. The big difference between them was I think Gasol is going to give you a bit more in terms of screen assists, mm-hmm. but also just flat out assists. Gasol again, another game with five assists last night. The mentality of the player is important because everyone says, you know, I want to win team first. That's what I care about. But how often is that true? How often do guys actually want to win and are totally selfless? Or do guys want to win, but they also want to be 
part of the winning. Right, exactly. I think it's very rare you get a guy who strictly only cares about winning, doesn't care about playing, not playing, scoring, not scoring. I think it just depends on how much you're able to contribute to that. And, you know, it's it's easy to say that if you're playing 30 minutes and playing well, and all you care about is winning because you're getting your individual accolades, you're, you know, doing what you have to do to, to kind of get another contract and continue playing. But, you know, if you take a guy that's starting and sit him in the playoffs and he doesn't play, will he be, you know, the same player, the same person in the locker room? I find that hard to believe. And I've played with very few guys who, whether they're playing or not, is just happy with the team winning. And, and that's just the reality of it because as much as people say winning is rewarded, you know, I think it's rewarded for people with the right stats where I don't think you see a guy at the end of the bench that wins championships that continues, you know, getting these deals because he's winning championships. I think it comes down to what you do individually. And, you know, I think winning is a plus when it comes to contract negotiations and things like that. You mentioned the matchups and what matchup would it make sense to play Ibaka over Gasol. Last night they were getting killed in the pick and roll with Gasol struggling to stay in front of Reggie Jackson. And so in that scenario, maybe Ibaka, who's a little, not a little bit, he's, he's much more fleet of foot than Gasol is because everybody is. Maybe he's a little bit better in that sense on the perimeter defensively. I mean, we kind of know what the potential matchups are going to be. The Raptors are currently sitting second in the East, two and a half games back from Milwaukee. They're probably not going to catch Milwaukee. To be honest, I don't even know if you want to catch Milwaukee, and we'll get into that in a bit in terms of what the bracket is going to look like. But the teams who they could face in the first round, currently right now in the seventh spot is the Brooklyn Nets. So is Ibaka more of a factor in, in that series? At eight, you've got Orlando. Six, let's say the Pistons fall back. They could end up being that team you face in the first round in the in the seventh. See, Charlotte and Miami, the other two teams in that scenario, do any of those matchups to you scream, okay, yeah, for these four to seven games, Ibaka's going to be the guy that we feature? Initially, the Brooklyn series, you know, with Jared Allen being so active and, and whatnot, I think Ibaka kind of matches the way he plays, and Ibaka's able to, to kind of guard the rim and, and whatnot. But I also think uh, Charlotte was one I don't, you know, really see Mark Gasol being able to do too well with, with Kemba Walker, you know, running a million pick and rolls like he does, you know, with the Hornets. But um, honestly, I think it just kind of depends on who's playing better. Uh, as much as matchups matter and whatnot, I think it's clear that if Ibaka's starting, they're still able to win games. They showed that before Mark Gasol got there. For the rest of the, the regular season, I think it's probably smarter for them to give Gasol the bulk of the minutes just uh, for him to, to gain the chemistry and, and be as comfortable as he can. And then, you know, once they get into the playoffs, I think... Whoever's playing better is obviously going to play, but I really don't know what Nick what Nick Nurse could do to kind of keep them both happy and, and kind of do what's best for the team. It, it just comes down to matchups and, and who's playing better. Any scenario you see where they would play together? Because me, it's no. I don't think it worked with JV, and obviously, you know, Marcus Hall and JV are different players, but I think Ibaka is much better at the five, and I think that's where they should keep him. And I think with Pascal and and able to slide kind of OG to the four if you need. And, and different combinations, I think, kind of gives them the space that they need out there. And I don't think it's a, a good option to have them both out there. Barring crazy foul trouble or injury, if they're both playing and clogging up the paint, even though both guys can step out from three, Baca's numbers are infinitely better shooting long twos than they are f- from three. But for centers, they give you spacing. But still, that's moving Pascal to the three. And so that means you have two spots for one of Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard, or Danny Green. And I don't think any roster combination is best without those guys on the floor playing big minutes. So to me, it doesn't make sense because of the fact that you have some good high-end wings mm-hmm. that are two-way players. And, I mean, some of the best lineups are because of the surplus of guards who right. they didn't want to play with Lowry and Van Vliet with... Lowry off of the ball. Lowry and Lynn, and and eventually when Van Vliet comes back, you can have some lineups with Van Vliet and Lynn both in the game together, you know, sharing the ball handling duty. So I I don't think it makes sense for them to play together. You mentioned it's going to come down to matchups, and I don't think it's too early to start to look ahead and project what those first-round matchups would be like. Right now the Raptors are 46-18, and So still quite a, a few games to go, but the seating's not ultimately going to change that much. In the two spot with Indiana 
third, Philly and Boston, four, five. If they stay at two, and assuming Indiana can hold on and stay at three, they're a half game up of Philly right now. Your bracket, because the NBA doesn't reseed, because television money matters over everything. The Raptors would play whoever finishes seventh. Then in the second round, they would get the winner of the three six, which let's say today is Indiana and Detroit. Or on the flip side, Milwaukee would play whoever finishes eighth, which let's be honest, is not that different than whoever finishes seventh. In the second round, they would get the winner of Philly and Boston. When you were in the league or in and around locker rooms, do you guys care about who they're going to end up playing and, and who they might match up with? I think so. I was in the playoffs my rookie year. We played Chicago, and we honestly didn't want to play Chicago just because we played them four times throughout the year. You play them in the preseason. You play them so many times. You're like, the last people I want to go and play seven games with is Chicago, the people that we're most comfortable with, just because we, we weren't able to really beat them. That's when they had Jimmy Butler and D. Rose and and those guys. So I think it it's different. You know, I, I think about in, in Europe, sometimes you do see teams losing on purpose and things like that just to get the matchup that they want. But in the NBA, you're going to go out and whoever it ends up being, you, you kind of deal with it. I think if I'm the Raptors, I'm pretty happy if it stays the way it is where you kind of get Detroit or Indiana as opposed to Milwaukee coming first and, and kind of in the second round getting the two of the other best teams in the East. So, you know, if I'm the Raptors, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the Indiana and Detroit in the second round, I'll, although Indiana kind of is playing really well right now. So, Yeah, the Raptors and their fans have been on the other side of this where – you know, congratulations, you won the East. Your prize is LeBron James in the second right, round. exactly. Because the Cavs were kind of fooling around during the regular season. When you say we didn't want to play the Bulls, what do you mean by that? Like, it was just an understood and a known thing, but it wasn't spoken about, or it was an active conversation where, please, Lord, let it be anybody but <laughs> Chicago. Like, how present was that feeling? It was more casual, I would say. It's not like, hey, guys, we're going to go out there and and try to, you know, lose this game. It was more, you know, we played the Bulls already. I think it was down to either we were playing either the Bulls or Toronto. And I think we we matched up well with Toronto that year. I don't remember the details about it, but I do remember us talking, and we figured it out basically up until, like, the last game of the season. Like, it was pretty close. But once we got the Bulls, we were like, all right, we, we got to do this. But, you know, we I think we would have been uh, a lot more confident heading into the series if um, we played the Raptors. Another thing I do remember with that series was – Milwaukee and Chicago are what an hour hour drive and as a Bucks player we were always pissed because we would play Chicago at home and obviously their their crowd and it's all red and then we play Chicago in Milwaukee and it'd be all red again so we also didn't want to play them because it was like playing seven away games even though we were playing in Milwaukee right every locker room that I've seen and you can correct me if I'm wrong They've got, or in and around, they've got the standings yeah. that are updated nightly. At what point of the year, because, I mean, you're not really checking for the standings too tough in week two of the season. At what point of the year do you start to really look at them and start to check for where other teams are, start watching league pass, cheering for other teams to get in the right position? What time of year are you really taking that in? To be honest with you, the last three years, uh, we kind of were never in the playoff race. Um, you know, in Houston, we, we started looking at it right before I got traded at the deadline. So we kind of hit the halfway point of the season. And we kind of started looking at it, you know, just because you by that point, you kind of played everybody in your conference already and kind of have a, a, a understanding of teams that you match up well against, teams that it's like, you know what, we're better than them, but they have our number this year, whatever the case is. But in Houston, obviously, we didn't want to play Golden State. I think we did believe we could beat them because we, we beat them on their floor that year. But I think if you're looking at it, you don't obviously want to play Golden State. You want to play them as late as possible. You want to play them when you need to and kind of have them go through two series and maybe Steph gets hurt or Clay or, or whatever the case is because as, a, you know, as much as you want to compete, you want to win. It doesn't matter who's on the floor. They could have all five of their Hall of Famers out, and if you win, that's all they're going to remember. But I would say... You kind of start looking at it closer to the to the midpoint of the season, and more so look at the standings to see, you know, like a, a team like Denver, where uh, nobody kind of expected them to be this good, and you see them on the standings, and you don't realize how good they are until you you see them and their their records right up there with the Golden States and the, the Houston's and whatnot. So I think it's more when you get to the end of the season, and as a Laker, you weren't really looking at the playoff race; you're more looking at whoever you play next. Speaking of Denver, your boy 
Isaiah Thomas is back and playing. Right. He is almost, to me, like a trade deadline move that wasn't a trade deadline move. Like they get a bit of of energy late mm. in the year. Could he be a, a factor for them moving forward? I think it'd be tough. I watched a couple of their games recently and I feel like they just have so many guys. Honestly, mm. they have, you know, Jokic obviously is always out there. They're, Gary Harris was on a minute restriction, so they're starting Beasley, but Beasley is playing really mind. well. They have Jamal who had a really, really good first half in, of the season and now with trying to juggle all the guards they have, Will Barton, Isaiah Thomas, Monte Morris, there's times where you see they'll be up 20 and then they'll put the second line in, they'll go down. And I think they're still figuring it out, and I don't think all of them will be able to play once it comes playoff time, but I think you can't substitute if Isaiah Thomas is in rhythm and you know healthy and playing well. You you know There's nobody else on that roster that has been through what he's been through in the playoffs. So he's someone you could always count on to go to, but you know I do think they're playing better basketball first half of the season without so many guys competing for minutes. Yeah. Jokic, who's had some issues lately with foul trouble, the one thing IT gives them, outside of Jamal, is someone who you can just roll the ball to and say, create a shot. Right. Create a shot for yourself, create a shot for someone else. Late in the shot clock, he can bail you out. Other than Jokic, who, even at the best of times, is more of a facilitator, IT can kind of get to the line when everything breaks down. And You mentioned being on teams, and this time you're not necessarily being in playoff contention. Is it about time to say that about the Lakers? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Not only looking at the record, just looking at the past few games of how they're playing, they don't look like an inspired team that's motivated. You know, I think that everybody everybody wants to play, make the playoffs in the league. I think it's not a matter of that. I just don't think they believe that they can still do it. And I think they still have a, you know, there's still a chance technically, but I don't think it's going to happen, honestly. And I don't think, if you're watching LeBron out there, I don't think he looks too inspired, you know, regardless of what he says to the media. Yeah, four and a half games behind the Spurs for the eighth spot, five games behind the Clippers for the seventh spot. Those are the two spots that are really up for grabs. I thought the Clippers were trying to not make the playoffs when they traded Tobias Harris, and now they've gone on a run, and they not only looks like they're going to make it, they've they've jumped up a spot. Not only is L.A., you know, they got 19 games left, not only are they going to have to win, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 of those, they got the Kings ahead of them, another team they have to jump, who's a game and a half ahead of them. Even if the teams in front of them play 500, they're going to basically have to come close to running the table because of how far they already are. Plus, you mentioned it, like how bad they've looked. Losing to Memphis, losing to Phoenix. These are some of the worst teams. I mean, Phoenix and Memphis, they're the two worst teams in the West right now, they, they also lost to the Pelicans, a team who they have a, a self-given minutes restriction on AD <laughs> right? <laughs> because, you know, they're hoping to trade him maybe to the Lakers. So LA is a mess. Paul Pierce said that they should shut down LeBron, which is obviously not going to happen, but there is some logic based to it just because the fact that they got the guy for four years and this year is it's probably a wrap. In terms of guys older who are playing some good basketball this time of year. I got to give some love to Kyle Lowry, who dropped 35 against the Pistons, and it's a, a season high this year. I was really worried about him, specifically what he's going to be like around this time of the year. He was missing games earlier, had to go to New York for a back injection. Now he's coming into, into form. You weren't concerned. You, you thought that he would get to this level at some point is, is this the affirmation that you expected to see from him if you're going to trust anybody on that team this year i think it's lowry i think with Kawhi missing these games obviously i think he's the best player and most talented on the team i just think without kyle lowry as a raptors fan you don't count on them winning games and that's me personally watching they might sneak a few wins out they might blow a team out but i think when it comes down to the playoff time lowry is the head of the snake Lowry's gonna kind of make them go and i wasn't too worried about him missing games and being injured early. It's more so being injured and missing games right now is when I would kind of worry, you know, him heading, kind of heading into playoff time. But the way he plays, you know, like I said before, if even if he's not scoring 35 points in a game, he's not, you know, getting a double-double. I think him being out there kind of gives them that confidence that, you know, they could beat any team in the league. And, you know, they can with or without him. But I think, 
you know, with your starting point guard, uh, your all-star guard, being out there gives a team a whole different level of confidence, especially when it comes to playoff time. And he's obviously super experienced. Everyone talks about his playoff woes past couple of years, his ups and downs in the playoffs. But I think that can only last so long, you know, with him playing so well in the regular season and, and the playoffs not being as good. I think this might be the year where you really see what Kyle Lowry brings in the regular season in the playoffs. You know, who knows, possibly him missing those games early in the season could have him a lot more fresh when it comes to playoff time. Yeah, it could be a blessing in disguise. And even mentally, he feels like he's in a good place, a good state early in the year. There's all these questions about DeMar and his relationship with Masai. Now he seems to be enjoying himself playing, smiling. Like, there are two... Kyle Lowry's not right. to the point where he's you know bipolar, but there's like angry, abrasive Kyle, which I don't necessarily mind because he kind of plays angry, so right. it fits. But see him joking with referees, and he just seems like a, in a really good, comfortable place, and possibly it could be because he wasn't sure if he was going to be here mm-hmm. after the deadline, and right. now clearly he knows he is going to. Speaking of the relationship between players and referees, Trey Young ejected. For staring down. That's right. Young. You shot that from Rockford. He says something to Chris Dunn. Puts his hands on his hips. He might be ejected. There's two two technicals? Yeah. Yeah, and he's been tossed out. Wow. Oh, boy. Wow. He gave him. That's his second technical. Got that one early with Chris Dunn. He made the three. Remember, that was the one at the end of the quarter. And that was the one I said. I never quite understood these double personal fouls. He didn't say anything. All he did was give Chris Dunn a look. I mean, he makes this shot because they got into it earlier. Now watch. He just gives Chris Chris Dunn a look, kind of stares at him. Have you ever seen anything like that? No. Off the top, the only thing I can remember is when Tim Duncan got thrown out. Yes. When he was on the bench. Yes. Larry misses the free throw. And a technical foul call. I think it's on Tim Duncan sitting on the bench. Somebody on the bench for the Spurs. Yep, it's Duncan, who was unhappy with the lack of a call or a call earlier. And he said something to Joe Crawford. Now, Crawford, as we said, one of the best in the business. But he also has maybe the quickest technical in the NBA of all the officials. Joe Crawford. Right, and I think it's tough. Honestly, the refs have such a a crazy job to kind of ref this game in real time and see everything that's going on. But at the same time, I do think the refs get into the game and kind of get in there... You know, it's not personal. I don't think anything during the game is personal until the ref kind of takes it there. I've never seen a ref do that, you know, to that extent. But I do think they call the game a little tight. And I think having those little battles within the game, you know, two players going at it, whether they get a, a double tech, I think that's what makes the game fun. And that's what makes you want to, you know, watch. The next time the Hawks play the Bulls, you remember, oh, Chris Dunn and Trey Young are going to go at it because last time they both got double techs, Trey Young and whatever had 35 and... You know, that's what makes the game fun. And I think if you cut that out and, you know, you see the refs, guys hanging on the rim, refs calling that, I think that's what makes the game fun for the fans and for the players, you know. If you're just out there and there's no conflict, you know, you whoever wins, wins, and you move on, I don't think that's real competitive. And I don't think that shows how competitive the league actually is. I always hated double techs. Hate them. Like, they, yeah. to me... There's so always what, somebody starts it. Honestly, yeah. like it's <laughs> impossible that at the exact same time both guys did something right. untoward. To me, a double tech was like a cop out. Then Absolutely. give neither of them a tech and just yeah. talk to them and be like, cut it out. I but do like, remember I went to a Raptors game. Shoot, it was Vince. We were playing Vince, Morris Peterson. You might remember this too. And they were joking around. Obviously, they know each other because they played together in Toronto. And Vince like slapped him in the head, something yeah. like they were joking Playing around with his headband and stuff like that. And the ref looks back when Mo P kind of retaliates, yeah, and throws him out. Oh, it was Vince, and then oh, wait a minute, we got yeah, we got uh, an issue here. Yeah, you got definitely have an issue there. And I remember I was there, and I remember Mo P getting obviously storming off the court, taking off his jersey, throwing it in the crowd. Just tossed his jersey into the crowd. Now, Peterson is making the case that this was a friendly, fun gesture with Vince Carter. And now Carter has come over to talk to Steve Jabby about it. And I remember Vince, like, you know, we were joking around, you know. And, and Trey Young actually got attacked for that joking around with, with DeAndre Jordan. And I think the refs kind of call that in the moment. Right. And probably look back and, you know, after the game, whatever they're watching, 
the game again and and realize they made a mistake. But I I also don't like the last two minute report. Yeah, just because it, it kind of does nothing for you, especially if you lose the game. You know, it's like oh we should have won. You know, but that does nothing for you. Right. I do remember that situation with Vince and Mo. I also took it almost symbolic. Like, of course, Mo Pete got caught for retaliating towards Vince and kind of like in the situation, you kind of got sunned. You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were the only one that got caught. Like, you're so beholden to this guy that you had to get in a situation, but you got caught and he's still in the game kind of smiling and you're storming off kind of being cheesed. I'm surprised, though, that you said it's not personal because your boy, James Harden, has come out and said that referee Scott Foster had some beef with him. The context is... Foster called a bunch of fouls against him in a game where he still managed to go off for 30-plus again, but fouled out of the game. And that's only the seventh time he's fouled out in a game in his career. I mean, James isn't normally <laughs> playing off defense right, to get to foul, to foul out. <laughs> offensive so, fouls. Yeah, maybe. offensive fouls, maybe. So he said after the game that... Scott Foster, man, he's a... Uh, you know, I, never, I never really talk about officiating or anything like that, but just just rude and, and, and arrogant. Um I mean, you aren't able to talk to him throughout the course of a game. And it's like, how do you do that relationship um, with officials? Um, you know, so, and it's not even that call. Like, it's it's just, you know, who who he is on that floor. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty frustrating. And I mean, I, and I'm probably going to get hit, but honestly, I, I don't really say anything. I'm a pretty quiet guy to myself, but uh, it's one of those things where you can't voice your opinion. You can't have a conversation with someone that's officiating the game and then, you know, you're getting a tech. It's, uh, it's pretty sad. You know, Chris had similar comments about Foster last year. Do, do you feel I mean, that's like another thing. Last year in the postseason, we came in the Western Conference Finals. I think he officiated a couple of our games, and it's just it's, it's lingering. And it's something that uh, has to be looked at, for sure. You feel like it, there, there's a, it's a personal issue? Yeah, for sure. For sure it's personal. For sure. Like, I don't think he should be able to even, you know, officiate our games anymore, honestly. So whether it's Joy Crawford and Tim Duncan or this situation with Trey Young, I feel like sometimes referees get in their feelings. No, I do. I do agree with that. Every team I've been on, they have the refs kind of posted up before the game. Mm-hmm. And what they want you to do is kind of know them by name, kind of build whatever kind of relationship you could have with a ref, because obviously you're going to have this ref again throughout the year. And, I, and obviously every team, there's a guy where it's like, oh, shit, we have, we have Donovan refing today, you know? <laughs> and, and you know they either give you calls, they don't give you calls, whether it's on purpose or not. I'm saying in the moment, it's not about, if I f- have offensive foul, it's not about, you know, I hate you. It's about, you know, I didn't think I committed that foul. And obviously after the game, you could look at it. So it, it is personal. There's refs that you like and you don't like. But I just don't think in the moment me screaming at you because you made the wrong call or I thought you made the wrong call. I don't think that's personal. And they do take it right. personal because they feel like they're a part of the game. And as players, we don't always remember that the refs are going to these games and in the league as much as we are in a sense. Right. There, a couple years ago, it was a point of emphasis to crack down on players talking and clean up the game and the whole story about, oh, it's bad for the young kids watching the game. And so in the preseason, early in the season, guys were getting texts left, mm-hmm. right, and center. Remember yeah. that? And I had an issue with that because as a player, you're going to have a natural reaction. Mm-hmm. Block charge real quick. You think you're there. You're waiting. You're looking to see the ref points that it's a block and not a charge. And you, you like turn away and you scream, yeah. right? You're going to have that natural reaction. That's just, it's literally natural. Right. But teeing guys up for that. I think it's too far. But I also feel like the refs historically have let it get to a place where Draymond can start clapping in a guy's face oh, and, yeah. and wave Absolutely. him away. And then you, it happens so often that you can't tech everyone for doing that. Like, if I'm in a long line at the DMV, I can't just talk any type of way. I want, well, I mean, people do. <laughs> if you watch Six Buzz, people do. But in a place of work, you can't just talk any type of way to someone mm-hmm. without any repercussions. But the NBA game has gotten to a place where Rashid Wallace has talked any type of way and mm-hmm. Draymond has. And so I feel like there should be a distinction. What's a natural reaction to what a player receives as a bad call? And what is a player being disrespectful and, right. and doing it a little bit too, too far? I have two issues with that same topic is one there's guys like Draymond and and Lowry mm-hmm. who basically any point in the game you the, fl- the camera can flash <laughs> to them and they're talking to the ref yeah. 
And obviously, if if you're talking to the ref every play, every play, you're at some point they're gonna be like, all right, let me just give this guy a call. Whereas yeah. I seen uh, <laughs> watching the Lakers play the Pelicans, and I can't remember who the commentator was. They talked about it where. Drew Holiday said something to the ref who never talks to the ref and he got a tech. Right. Well, that's not fair. So because Lowry and LeBron and CP and these guys are talking to you every time a certain way, the first time I come out and say anything, it's like, all right, tech, you, you don't usually talk to me. So you're, you're getting right. out of character. So I have an issue with that kind of, you know, it doesn't pay off to be a guy who doesn't talk to the ref. You might as well talk to them and, right. and get yeah. the calls. And two, like times where refs kind of admit to... Oh, that's LeBron. Like that's that's a call, or it's Kobe. Really? Where, yeah. That, that always bothered me. That always bothered me because you always think these guys get calls already. Yes. So you think LeBron get that call because it's LeBron, and I'm sure LeBron and those guys think they don't get calls, right? Because everyone, nobody really thinks they get calls other than probably James Harden. But <laughs> it was a problem for me because this guy looking at LeBron, he's already bigger than everybody, mm-hmm. faster, stronger, more talented, whatever you want to say. I don't think he needs that extra help of, you know, the tic-tac fouls. And I would have, I don't remember the, the specifics, but I do remember guys like, okay, that's, people say Kobe had his own rules or Jordan had his own rules. And I don't think, as a league, obviously it, it's beneficial for them to be better and score more points. But as somebody else who's as much as a player in the league as these guys, you know, they don't need that extra hand. If anything, I need that extra hand going, I'm guarding LeBron and I, so I need that extra, be able to, to foul him a little bit more as opposed to him going to the free throw line, you know? Yeah. And so that always bothered me. And not saying it's something that happens on purpose, but, you know, I, I think the refs are fans too. If I'm out there refing Michael Jordan and I never played in the NBA, of course I'm going to be in awe, you know, at some point with, with what they're doing. So. See, that would infuriate me because I put my shoes on same way he does. Exactly. I pay my union dues the same <laughs> way he does. I'm a grown-ass man. I, I don't expect anyone else to get more calls than I do. I understand why, in the case of a LeBron or Shaq, it's difficult to officiate them because they're so big. Right. So if you hit LeBron with the same amount of force as you hit Steph Curry, well, Steph Curry is going to fall. Right, LeBron right. may not. He may not even feel it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's not a foul. Yeah. And so I understand why it's, it would be difficult because all of this is interpretation, but the fact that you're going to give a star calls, mm-hmm. and it's there's a term for it, star calls, right? Mm-hmm. Commentators will say it all the time. Oh, that that is such and such player. Right. He deserves that call. Which like, I don't I don't agree with that at all. Especially talking about uh rookies. Mm-hmm. Where they talk about rookies don't get foul calls. Where it's like, listen, I'm a rookie. I just came out of college after one year. I'm 180 pounds. <laughs> I'm going against Russell Westbrook. I I need the opposite. I don't need you to help him. I need you to help right. me. And and that always bothered me just as a young player and obviously as I get older I'm going to respect it a little bit more and appreciate it but you know I just never understood why you help like why why you help the best player on the planet I don't, I don't even expect you to even the playing field I just want you to call the game the same way no matter who it is I feel the same call in minute one of the game should be the same as minute 48 I don't know how realistic that is but ultimately as a player I would want to know that this is a foul and this is not if you want to set the tone as a referee in terms of I'm calling this game tight because maybe these teams have beef, so on and so forth, or the league has said, hey, James is baiting people on on three-point shots and kicking out his leg, whatever. Set the tone early so then everyone kind of understands it. Right, you can follow it. But you got to keep it 100. You got to keep it for everyone the same. Keep that same energy because otherwise, then ultimately, you might as well just have three-on-three, like your stars versus their stars. Right, exactly. I do feel for my guy Trey Young who looked at a guy the wrong way and got (laughs) ejected from a game guy who's no longer a star but might be back in the league Andrew Bogut mm-hmm. put up some big numbers in Australia his native land was the MVP and defensive player of the year in the domestic league in Australia now the Warriors are looking at bringing him through you played with him when it looked like he was washed right but now he's back yeah um I played with him last year it felt like forever ago but no he broke his leg and I think the Lakers were the first team he came back to and he was obviously like, I, I didn't sign with the team. And he always has options because he's a crazy defensive player, even even at his age. But kind of depends. He's more focused on fit and winning, and it's not about the money for him. And I think, you know, he went to the Australian League where he's from to play. And I didn't watch any games, but it seems like he kind of got his stride back and he's healthy. And, you know, even when he wasn't healthy with us, he was still effective. Kind of like Marcus Gasol, where he can make plays from the center spot. He was still protecting the rim, and 
as much as we talk about veteran leadership, he was someone that the Lakers needed, someone who he's an, an asshole, and, and that's what you kind of need in locker room, especially when you have a bunch of young guys who are figuring out what the NBA and what the league is about, someone who's been through everything in the league and could kind of show you the ropes, what's right and what's wrong. So he was great for us. He was just injured, injury-prone, and, and you know I'm happy to see him back and you know hopefully see him win a championship again just because he was a, a really good teammate, really good player. So Yeah, he was part of that that start with the Warriors franchise where mm-hmm. they were coming up, coming up, bubbling, and then all of a sudden they took off and won a championship. And they've changed the way they've played since they had to move him to clear the decks to get KD. They used to have so much passing at the high post with mm-hmm. him facilitating throwing lobs for, for other guys or hitting Curry or Clay on cuts to the basket or flaring behind screens on the perimeter. They do that with, with Draymond, but they've lost it in terms of doing sure, it yeah. from the center position until they sign Boogie, who can pass from the high post. And so as a compliment to Boogie, because there are other centers, whether it's Jordan Bell or Kevon Louie can't do that. It's a compliment to Boogie, who's been foul-prone a bit. You might be able to get a five-minute stretch here, a six- or seven-minute stretch here, where they still have that ability in their offense, even when Boogie is resting. Is it tough for him, as good as he is as a rim protector, to guard the pick-and-roll at this point of his career? Sure, but Boogie can't guard it that well either. So right. it's really the the same difference. I actually, in terms of bigs who got signed recently... I was hoping that we were going to have a little Gasol reunion in Toronto. Oh, yeah. That the firm of Gasol and Gasol would be in Canada, but he decided to sign with the Bucks. Is that just a situation of veteran leadership and another kind of coach who's been through some championship wars, or could he give them some minutes? I think he'd give them some minutes, honestly. I think when when you get in the playoffs, you never know what's going to happen. Obviously, we talked about injuries a lot, but I think he, he he's definitely someone, when they signed him, I... I Thought it was a positive signing for them, and as much as we talk about veteran leadership, you know, there's not many players in the league that have championship experience, and you know, him being an all-star, a Hall of Famer, I, I don't see anything negative coming from this signing, and and you know, I think the Bucks are trying to put their pieces together to really make a run at making it to the to the NBA Finals. Whether whether they they're able to get there, we'll we'll see, but they look like they're really playing some really good basketball too. Speaking of veteran leadership, Chris Jenner. Is the veteran <laughs> NBA leader of her household and her family is, is back in the news. You played with Harden, who dated a Kardashian and, and Chloe, but you played with him before they were dating, correct? No, after. Oh, after. So now, obviously, poor sip out for fellow Canadian Tristan, who is or was, depending on what you read, dating a Kardashian and has been forever in the news since. Um, these aren't those Brampton girls that sink that local action, unfortunately. <laughs> It's one thing if you have the options, but being an NBA player and having so many options, I couldn't deal with that that stress. Honestly, (laughs) honestly, I would just be in my bed at nine o'clock at night every night. When you're in the locker room and something goes down with a guy like that and it's super, super public consumption, is that a, you know, quote unquote distraction or uh, are guys kind of joking with dudes like anyone would joke with their homeboys? As much as people will call it a distraction, I don't think as a player... That would bother me. As long as, you know, if Tristan was playing and he wasn't hurt and that's affecting his game, then that's when it becomes an issue in the locker room. But I think if he's playing and still performing the same way we need him to perform, I think the locker room is a lot of joking, a lot of making fun of each other. You know, basically what you expect the locker room to be when you have 15 mix of men and boys, because obviously there's so many young guys, but I think he's getting all the jokes right now. You know, as long as it's not something serious, I think what's messes up a locker room more is trade rumors and things that are really going to affect somebody's life as opposed to, you know, he's not injured and, you know, nobody's seriously hurt. Once everyone finds out that it's not a serious issue as far as health and stuff like that, I think they're giving him all the jokes in the locker room as opposed to them looking at him like, oh, we're, we're the Cavs. We're not making the playoffs, but you're distracting us. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm a GM, I wouldn't look at him this year as a distraction, but I would definitely think about where his mind is basketball wise as you know he's negotiated contract and I think that's something that he'll realize and he's realizing now that you know as much as he's able to perform in the court it's a lot of off the court issues especially as you're getting older and and turning into one of the veteran guys and it's hard to tell a rookie 
what to do relationship wise and because that's what it is. And, you know, when, you know, you go through relationship and the only person you can really reach out to and someone who's been through it. And as a rookie, that's the veteran guys. So they not only veteran on the court, they're off the court with family issues, financial stuff. So, you know, that's why veterans are so important. You know, people make fun of them all the time. Like, Oh, we signed this, like an example, Corey Brewer signing with the Kings. You know, he was one of my, I played with him for two and a half, almost three years. And he was somebody who, you know, even if you didn't ask, he's telling you, Hey, you should invest in this or you should watch this with your financial guy. So they help with everything in life. And I think it's, it's hard for a veteran to tell a rookie how relationship stuff if all your stuff is public and it's it's not good, you know what I'm saying? Right. I remember Jalen Rose talking about the fact that in Toronto, not talking about himself, obviously, but there were times when you had like the wives section of the arena with all the wives and then like diagonal across the court, you had like the side piece section. <laughs> and I'm like, man, like that's just too much pressure. Like, I, I, I wouldn't be able to concentrate on my Euro step and finishing with the left. If, if I'm worried about like, if the, the side piece and the main squeeze are going to run into each other at concessions, <laughs> like that's just another level. The thing though, that would really bother me though, is when Tristan had a situation earlier in the year, he's on his home floor and his own fans are booing him. You know what I mean? Like, well, right, that's, no, when, like that's, yeah. that's like another level where the TMZ is impacting the NBA where your own fans don't have love for you. Right. It almost reminds me of, uh, of like the source awards when, uh, when Snoop's like, y'all don't have love for the West coast. Y'all don't have love for death row. Like, <laughs> if I was Tristan, I would take like the PA microphone. and be like, you don't remember like all them offensive boards I got. I think he, didn't he, uh, they booed him in Toronto as well. Didn't they? Did they? I think so. Oh. I wanted maybe in the playoffs last year, but that was something that surprised me. You know, it must've been all the women yeah, <laughs> in, in the arena, man. but I was surprised that, you know, even in, in Toronto, they booed him. I was a little hurt by that just because obviously, you know, I don't think Kobe got booed when he was going through all that in Lakers. True. And obviously it's super different sensitive situations, but, you know, dealing with people that are that celebrity, that high, I think it, it does, you know, it's a whole different level of media coverage. And, I mean, it's one of the, the questions that our time has to deal with is how do you separate the artist from the person? And how do you say, well, I like this person's music or I like them as an athlete or, or I like whatever piece of entertainment that they're giving me, but their personal, personal. life is separate, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And so everyone kind of deals with that differently because now they're kind of not separate because you see them on social media. You feel like you know them. You're seeing for sure, them yeah, absolutely. on Instagram and yeah. seeing their personal lives. But there has to be, for me anyway, some sort of separation of church and state if you will unless we're talking about like a heinous crime that was committed right yeah right then that's obviously another level because you don't want to necessarily support i'm not saying you should be you know bumping r kelly ignition right <laughs> that's exactly what I was on, on spotify <laughs> right but yeah if you played for the national team i think you should get some love in your yeah i think it's tough your own country yeah fans aren't really able to kind of separate that for the most part you could post that even if i could go on and post something my family the comments aren't going to be about, oh, your family's beautiful or whatever. <laughs> it's going to be about basketball. Right. And I think fans don't always recognize that he's Tristan Thompson, the Cavaliers power forward or center, but he's also Tristan Thompson, the dad, brother, whatever the case is. And I think dating a Kardashian, obviously everything's public because right. that's what it is. But I don't think fans know that some players, Kyrie and Kawhi are, are super, you know, on one side, but people like to separate them being an NBA player, but them also being a person and, and keeping some things private. Well, the other thing that they don't separate is that reality TV is not real. Right. And it was the reason why I started with the veteran leadership of Chris Jenner is because part of, of everything that comes with being a Kardashian or dating a Kardashian is manufactured for content, for ratings. And so they don't necessarily see this. And there's obviously... There's only really one side of the story right. being told, which I suppose is why it's dangerous to date a Kardashian. What, what was it like for James having come through that situation to then coming back down to earth and being a normal human again? I think it's funny. You know, you're talking about James Harden, who's one of the most popular players in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And just from the conversations we've had, obviously I wasn't there to see it. 
But he was even like, yeah, this is a whole different level of media. And I think it's different when you're playing in L.A. or, or New York, but playing in Houston, I think James is able to kind of act as normal as he, he can in any city as far as drive around by himself or go to the mall, simple things that an everyday person would do. But I think during that relationship, he was overwhelmed with the media coverage and people always wondering what he's doing, why he's why he's in L.A., you know, why he's at this mall, why he's at this party, because when you're dating Kardashian, everything is centered around the media and staying popular and in the media. So he wasn't interested, and he's someone who gets attention everywhere he goes. So I could imagine playing in Cleveland and obviously playing with LeBron, so he has that. But NBA players get it, but, you know, I think it's a whole different level when you're at that stage or dating somebody at that stage. You mentioned people kind of seeing your posts and, of your family and they just want to talk about basketball. You have a young family and it is women's history month and it's coming up to uh international women's day. When you look at your daughter and the game of basketball, do you perceive like if she decided to play ball like you, what the opportunities would be like for her as a female athlete moving forward? Well, firstly, I don't, I have two daughters. I don't have any, sons but even if i did i would never force them to to play you know i think it's more if they pick up a ball and they're really interested obviously i could help them um, i'd always be there to help but i would never feel force them just because basketball is something that you gotta every day you gotta work out you gotta kind of pour your life into it but um you know i think it's tough you see women's basketball don't get the respect that they should be getting you know when i was in in turkey our women's team had a bunch of WNBA players and talking to them, they get paid a lot more over there. They get the respect they deserve. You know, they're, they're kind of the professional athlete, you know, whereas I think in the WNBA, they're playing more so not for the money, not for the team, but more to play in front of their family and, and the name of the WNBA, as opposed to, I think they should be getting paid a lot more and being able to, to take care of their family. Maybe not to the scale of an NBA player, 40 million a year and, and whatnot. But I think, what they're getting paid in the WABA is absurd. And I think it's, I don't know what could be done, but I think, you know, they're speaking up and they obviously have NBA players and the union and everything behind them. So hopefully we see a change in the near future just because it's, I don't think it's fair that, you know, they basically have no summer. They're playing in the WNBA during the summer, then they're going to Europe. And, you know, I couldn't imagine having to, to, to do that nonstop. I think the change is almost needs to come culturally first before anything, right? right. Like, we just assume women are going to, you know, when their kids play with dolls and not necessarily pick up a ball. Mm-hmm. Or if they play sports, they kind of have to do it, but be ladylike and not be right. as demonstrative, right? Mm-hmm. And so naturally the, the rate of women who drop out of sports is higher and we don't televise women's sports as much. Mm-hmm. We don't talk to them as much. And so all the way through from when they're young to when they're adults, there's less investment in, in resources because the expectation is boys are going to be rough and play sports and women are so almost culturally to value female athletes and female athletics is the thing that that has to change but even in Canada a country that's super progressive we have one of the the best women's national teams mm-hmm. in the world and yeah. we have one of the best players in in her prime right now in Kia Nurse but uh you know it's sad that if she were to walk down the street she wouldn't necessarily be recognized or mm-hmm. the, the amount of sponsorship opportunities she has wouldn't be as high and it's not just the fact that she's a female athlete, because if she was the same level of talent, but a figure skater, then it would be on and popping. Right. Mm -hmm. So something specific about sports like basketball, where we, we don't invest, I mean, we don't invest in Canadians in basketball enough period, but Mm -hmm. especially in, in our women's game, you know, it's a sport that we, we should be kind of giving our ladies some more, some more love. It was funny. I was reading something where, you know, someone was pointing out that, a lot of people hate on women's basketball and make fun of it, but you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a real basketball fan or a real person who's into basketball make fun of a, a WMA game. And I think you really appreciate it if you know what you're watching. You know, it's it's easy for a fan that watches basketball for the dunks and the, the buzzer beaters to make fun of a women's game, but I've never seen someone who really appreciates the the art of basketball talk bad about women's because they're they might not be dunking and Steph Curry threes and all that, but you know they're playing the game the same way as everybody else, and they're doing it at a real high level. 
it's kind of like Serena in women's tennis. You can watch an amazing women's tennis match. Doesn't mean the serves are the same that you're going to see from Djokovic or Nadal, but the level of competition. And for me, you know, not being a high level elite athlete like you, but knowing what goes into it. To me, what I respect is the level of preparation, right, the level it. of work. And that's something that doesn't necessarily change based on your sex, right? right, the, right the, right. the women are working just as hard as dedicated. Um, it meant the same for them to win Pan Am gold as it would have for a man. So we should salute them. And I'm bringing this up because it's obviously topical because it is Women's History Month and we've got um, you know International Women's Day coming up. But even... Just like I say, we shouldn't only talk about black history or black issues in February. We shouldn't really just talk about women's sports issues in the month of March. But we've talked a lot. For Donovan Bennett, hit me up at Donovan Bennett. Let me know what you think on all things we discussed and what you want us to discuss moving forward. At Tyler Ennis is exactly that. At Tyler Ennis. That's how you can hit up Tyler and the producer who comes with the fire intros and also the... On point stats in my ear make me sound smarter than I am. Emil Delich, his handle is at a man Delich, exactly the way you think it's spelled A M A N D E L I C. And and his up on Instagram as well. Although Tyler Ennis doesn't have his own Instagram handle, we need to get you oh, no. your name. <laughs> Wait, it's, I tried. What is it on IG again? One Tyler Ennis. I just had to throw a number in there. Yeah. Well, don't give the other dude who's squatting on his name the follow. Give no, Tyler he, the follow on he IG. He sent me an offer. He tried to have me buy it, but I'm not going for that. <laughs> um, no, you can't be bought. <laughs> um, yeah, this has been Free Association right here on Sportsnet. Sportsnet.